Welcome to Whipple's Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Whipple. The Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears will exchange unpleasantries again on Sunday. And, like so many times in their long and intense rivalry, a lot will be on the line. Welcome, I'm Gary Wolfel, and I'm elated to be joined again for another Packers podcast by Rob Reichel of Forbes.com and Connolly Media, and the unofficial record holder for most books written about the Packers. Hello, Rob. <laughs> Very unofficial, Gary. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Cliff Crystal or Gary D'Amato might have something to say about that, too. I'll, I'll have to call Elias in well, New York. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to add that up at some point. Bud Lee's got to be in there, too. <laughs> there you go. Rob, as you all know, the uh, Bears and Packers have been playing against each other, it seems, since dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, the rivalry began in 1921. Can you believe that? 1921. And uh, the Packers and Bears have played each other a league-high 201 regular season and postseason games. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. You know, Gary, in the last decade or so, we, we've had a few that have come down to this final week of the season that have had unbelievable, you know, playoff ramifications and consequences in terms of who moves on or who stays home in the postseason. If you think about 2010, the Packers had to beat the Bears in week 17 up at Lambeau Field just to make the playoffs. They did that night, Gary, 10 to 3, snuck in as the sixth seed, the Bears could have knocked Green Bay out that night. Lovey Smith actually played all his people. Um, even though he had a home field and a bye locked up, I think he sensed that year how dangerous Green Bay was. And sure enough, they were, Gary. And they went on, got hot that postseason, and won the Super Bowl, including the NFC Championship game that year in Chicago. If you remember 2013, the division was on the line in Week 17 down in Chicago. That's when Rodgers and Cobb hooked up on a fourth down play late in the game to win it 33 28. We're going to have a similar scenario on Sunday, Gary, in terms of, you know, everything on the line really for both teams. Again, green Bay wins and they're the number one seed in the NFC and they get to stay home all through the postseason on the way to the super bowl and Chicago sits now, Gary, amazingly, I think to both of us and, and probably the rest of the NFL, in the number seven spot. And if the bears win on Sunday, they're in the playoffs as well. So um, I think intensity is going to be through the roof in that game as both sides have an absolute ton to play for the, the bears seem like a different team than the one that came to Lambeau a month ago. And um, boy, it's, it's going to be a fun one on Sunday, Gary. Oh, it sure will be. You know, the one thing I have noticed about the Bears is how they have, I mean, improved significantly. It's not like they just improved, but they have become a very, very well-rounded team. And, you know, Mitch Trubisky was, you know, basically uh, good for dead in the middle of the season. Nobody thought we'd ever see him again. And he's come back and, and made impressive strides and uh, seems much more confident. And then David Montgomery has emerged as a quality running back. And I don't know if you had a chance to see any of the Bears game on Sunday, but uh, against 
almost like insurmountable odds, Jimmy Graham caught two touchdown passes. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? And then, of course, you know, when you look at the Bears, I mean, their defense, what can you say about it? It's, it's, it's pretty formidable. So, yeah, this, this is going to be a pretty good uh, challenge for the Packers. Now, that game was 41-10 to 10 a month ago. You know, after three quarters up in Lambeau Field, the Packers absolutely dominated. I, I think, Gary, if I remember right, that was Trubisky's first start after having, you know, been benched for about six or seven, maybe eight weeks in the middle of the season. But, boy, he has found his sea legs since then, hasn't he? Um, that they've been really creative on the offensive side of things. Mitch Trubisky is not a pocket passer, Gary. He doesn't do his best work in the pocket. And, they, and they've, you know, schemed and, and been very creative in their play calling, getting him outside the pocket to make plays. I, I think Allen Robinson's a remarkably underrated receiver. I mean, yes. you hit it on Jimmy Graham. I mean, he, I don't know where he found the fountain of youth because he looked dead in the water the last two years in Green Bay. Like he had absolutely nothing left in, in his gas tank. And I thought his career was over. And when the Bears signed him, Gary, I thought it was a remarkable mistake on their part. But he's been a red zone threat all year. And, and, he, and even recently, Gary, they're taking some shots down the field to him, which, which I'm amazed by. And probably the key to everything, and you hit it, is Montgomery. I, I think on this show midseason, Gary, I called him a pedestrian runner. And, uh, and that's really all I thought he was at the time. I, I had watched maybe a half a dozen, eight of his football games, and I, I just wasn't impressed. He just he didn't look like a difference maker at all, Gary. He looked like a guy you took in the fifth round, and you'd plug in there to average three and a half yards a carry. And um, if he was your starting running back, he was going to be one of those guys that year in and year out you're looking to replace. But, yeah. boy, I'm telling you, the last month of the season, Gary, he's been a pro bowler. Um, catching the ball, running the ball. He opened a game a couple weeks ago, Gary, with an 80-yard run, and and I think they only gave it to him another 10 times after that through the course of the game. Well, they learned their lesson after that. They've, they've been pounding the rock with him and also getting him flared out in the passing game because his hands are really good too. They're blocking fine. We, we've known all year, Gary, that there's no there's no problem whatsoever with the defense. If the offense can just keep its head above water, they're going to be in football games every single week. And this will not be another 41-25 kind of game, I think, on Sunday, much, you know, like the final score was when, when these teams met November 29th. And, again, that game was 41-10 after three quarters. Mm-hmm. And the Bears had 15 fourth-quarter points. This, Gary, I, I, I smell a field goal game coming up. And, again, a ton on the line for both teams. And it could come down to Mason Crosby late trying to kick the Packers into a number one seed. Yeah. You know, as you well know, there's not a lot of love between these two teams. I mean, it's been that way forever, but uh, you and I touched upon this after the first Bears Packers game this year. If you recall, the Packers had a sizable lead on the Bears in the fourth quarter and uh, they they threw a couple deep passes. I, I noticed after the game, uh, Nagy did not make his way over to uh, LaFleur's side of the field and uh, headed to the locker room. And uh, it was my perception that uh, <laughs> Nagy was miffed. He, he wasn't too happy about what, what had transpired. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but uh, that's the impression I got. And I'm curious to see if, if that's the chip that the Bears have on their shoulder. Obviously, the, the, the number one priority is uh, getting into the playoffs, but 
I, I think that left a uh, bad taste in their mouth. Well, and, and rightfully so. And, and, and I remember you pointing that out, Gary, and, and I thought to myself, I need to go rewatch that tape again. And, and, and I forgot to, and I will now when we finish this podcast. You're exactly right. You know, that kind of emotion only lasts a couple of plays, maybe mm-hmm. a series, something like that. If, if you're ticked at another player, if you're ticked at a head coach, any of that bulletin board material or, or what happened in past games. At the end of the day, it comes down to execution and, and who performs better for 60 minutes. I think a lot of that stuff, Gary, wears off quickly in, a, in, in the course of the game. But, um, you know, Gary, if, if you remember back to the start of the year, I, I told you I liked Chicago's team a lot, and I picked you them did. in the playoffs, and and then I jumped off the bandwagon probably at about week twelve or thirteen, when, <laughs> like when everybody were, else. <laughs> yeah, when they were in the middle of that six-game losing streak and and fell to five and seven, I, I think I saw a stat, Gary. I think there's only been like two teams ever that have lost six in a row in you know in a season and went on to make the playoffs. So what they're doing is is pretty remarkable. You know, the five and one start, the six-game losing streak. They've won three in a row since. I mean, the the Packers undoubtedly are catching one of the hotter teams in football. I think Green Bay would like nothing more than to keep the Bears home for you know for the holidays and for the for the postseason. And and Aaron Rodgers' twenty and five career, Gary, against the Bears is certainly the perfect quarterback to go into Soldier Field and try to knock a team out of the playoffs. He's had he's had terrific success against these guys through his career. Uh, that's an 800 winning percentage. And when you think about it, Gary, one of those losses, he was knocked out the first series of the game when they broke his collarbone. Um, so we're, we're talking about a quarterback who's, who's really probably 20 and four against these guys because the Packers went on to lose on that Monday night game and Rogers only played a series that, that particular night. I think that was the Seneca Wallace game then uh, later yeah. on that night, which was extremely, extremely ugly from a Packers fan perspective. So no, Rogers has owned the bears. I mean, Favre owned the bears, Gary, in a big way. I think I'd have to go look it up. I think he was 22 and 10 though. Uh, lifetime against the li- lifetime against the bears. Um, and Rogers is taking it up even a notch right now at, at 20 and five. So if my numbers are right there, Gary, you're talking about over the last, you know, better part of three decades, that would be what 42 and 15. That's unbelievable for one team to dominate this kind of rivalry to, to that level. The bears did it Gary uh, in, in terms of that kind of dominance under Ditka Ditka through the eighties. And uh, the Packers have really taken it back the last three decades. And Gary, I think there was a time in the early nineties where the Packers, you know, were, were about 20 games in the hole in this rivalry. Right. Um, exactly. and, and now they're, if I, if I, if I remember right, they're about plus six or seven, I think it's uh, it's been a remarkable turnaround with this pair of quarterbacks and, and obviously Green Bay uh, will will be uh, looking to, to to add another notch in this in this recent dominance of this rivalry come Sunday afternoon. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it like 195 and about six ties, something like that? One. Yep, um, you're probably exactly right with that, Gary. So plus five, right? Yeah, you know it's interesting too over the years how some of these uh, participants in the games, you know. From, from Chicago and, and Green Bay have actually become pretty good friends. And I, I remember last year down at the uh, NFL Combine in Indianapolis, I, I spoke with Ron Rivera. That's like one of my annual things. I mean, what a great guy he is. And uh, we, we brought up some of the Packer Bears games over the year, et cetera. But, and I, and it, I can't remember who he talked to. It was a former Packer, but they had a lengthy conversation and they were talking about some of the games that they they had been involved in, 
you know, a lot of, a lot of good memories for those guys as well as the fans. Uh, you've covered your share of uh, Bears Packers game. You have a favorite memory? Well, I mean, Gary, probably just from the significance of the game, that 2010 NFC championship game that I covered down in, in Chicago was, was really memorable. Obviously, you know, the Packers win 21, 14, the BJ Rajay Raji play stands out. Um, you remember the Packers jumped out to a 14, nothing lead, knocked out uh, Cutler, knocked out his backup. The bears were down to their third string quarterback and, and, the, and they almost came back and rallied to win. And, you know, Sam Shields had a big game. They, they had a couple other players on defense kind of close things out. The Bears had really tight, cramped locker rooms down there, Gary, in Soldier Field. And, and I remember, you know, being packed in there, trying to bounce around and, and, and interview players. And it, it, it was so interesting to me, Gary, almost like behind this other wall that had, you know, like a, like a boxed hole in it about the size of, say, your 70-inch TV. You could <laughs> see kind of back in there, Ted Thompson just standing there watching it all unfold. And I made my way back. I found a little door and I made my way back by Ted through all of that. And you remember Ted really well. He, he wasn't overly personable. He was a total introvert. He didn't like dealing with the media. He, he, he didn't even like, you know, having conversations with, with humans a lot of the time, Gary. He was just, you know, unbelievably <laughs> good at what he did, but kind of an odd duck. And, uh, and I stood back there with Ted for about 10 minutes and talked to him afterwards about just what he had assembled there you know, this team going to the Super Bowl. I mean, you looked around and you saw all these pieces. Ted's Ted's fingerprints were all over that football team. You remember he took over a just a garbage group that Mike Sherman had kind of ran into the ground. And uh, it, it, it was really Ted's greatest moment, I felt, you know, that, that day and then obviously the Super Bowl a couple of weeks later. Um, it, it was just kind of a neat experience standing there you know, for a handful of minutes with Ted talking about what he had just put together. So that that's certainly one of my better memories of, of this Packer bear rivalry. I mean, th there have been some great ones, but clearly the significance of, of an NFC championship game in Chicago, Gary is, uh, is, is, is a, is a pretty special game. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty cool memory. You know, Rob, I, I have one and it wasn't from the game. Do you remember when Charles Martin took out Jim McMahon? Oh yes. Okay. Were you at that game by any chance? No, I was, uh, I was, I was still in school, high school, Gary. You were in high school. <laughs> I was. <laughs> wow. Well, anyways, the, the week before that game, the Packers played in green Bay and I was in the Packer locker room. I had never met Charles Martin before. And I, I'm not sure why I went over, but I, I started talking to the guy. Right. And it was almost like we hit it off. I mean, he, he was very personable, nice guy. And we talked about the upcoming Bears game, okay? And we both agreed that the Bears were beyond cocky. You know what I mean? Uh, they they right. just right. had an attitude that was almost insufferable. But anyways, we talked about McMahon. And out of the blue, Martin goes, I'm taking him out. <laughs> and I go, what? <laughs> he goes, I'm getting them. And I go, really? And he goes, yep, I'm getting them. I said, can I quote you on this? And he goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but he had that already in his mind, you know, a week before the game that, that he was going to, you know, target uh, McMahon. And then I'll tell you what, he, he got him. And uh, <laughs> it, it was probably maybe the most ugliest situation, you know, in, in that long, fierce rivalry. Right. If, if I remember right, Gary, too, didn't he come out that day with a towel 
and a handful of numbers on that towel of bears he was he was going to try to get I, I if I remember right and I'd have to go back and watch that tape again Gary but I remember I did a Charles Martin chapter in one of my books and um, I, I think he had like Matt Sui's number on there. Uh, he, <laughs> Man, I don't remember. Yeah, but you're, you're probably right. Yeah. He, he had McMahon's number on there. And, and, and you're right. I mean, Chicago people, Gary, to this day will tell you, you know, they would have won. I mean, their claim is they would have won another couple Super Bowls. McMahon was never really the same after that. I mean, that was, that was a, a, a big time injury he took to the shoulder. I, I mean, I think it knocked him out for – uh, you know, a handful of games then that season, didn't it, Gary? And then he was really yeah. never quite the same moving forward. His arm strength was never quite the same. So I, I know Bears people still point to that game as is really one of the keys in terms of, you know, that that those Chicago teams in the eighties, Gary, really kind of wasted their chance and probably should have won two, three, four Super Bowls along the way, as good as that defense was. And you know, if they would have had better quarterbacking play throughout that stretch, that might have happened. And that, that McMahon injury was enormous in that time. Yeah. You know, about a week or so ago, I read a story by my uh, buddy, Chris Thomason of the uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press, who covers the Vikings. And uh, he got a hold of a McMahon and he just, just did a fabulous piece on McMahon. But uh, one of the things that really stood out was how, you know, his body is just you know, an absolute disaster. It's a train wreck, as you oh. might expect, you know, for, for a guy that was hit so many times. But uh, one of the things in there, Rob, he goes to like Colombia or some, I think some uh, South American country, and he get, literally gets millions of these stem cells injected into his shoulders, his hips, his legs, wow. and, and get this, his brain. Wow. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean, it was a fascinating piece, and if you ever get a chance, I'd recommend anybody. Uh, oh, I, I will read that, and and that's probably just for day-to-day comfort, right? To, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it, some of the, the, the beating some of these guys take is just incredible, so. It, it, it is, and it, it was so different 30 years ago than what it is today. I mean, you, you go watch those old games, Gary, from the 80s and 90s, and it doesn't even look anything like today's football, right? I mean, exactly. Those exactly. are those, those are gladiators and warriors times ten. Those are those are humans just beating the nonsense out of each other for three hours straight. It's it's unbelievable. Speaking of uh, putting a beating on someone, how about AJ Dillon's uh, coming out party last uh, Sunday against the Titans? <laughs> the guy runs for 124 yards and two touchdowns. And uh, I was elated for the for the young man, but I, at the same time, I was upset, Rob, because I have Aaron Jones on my fantasy team, <laughs> <laughs> and he and he cut into his uh, uh, carries, obviously. But um, you know, prior to that, he had played in seven games, and he had rushed for a grand total of 115 yards. And here, you know, he comes out and uh, he has 124 against the Titans. Your thoughts on him? Do you think this is the real deal, or it was just like uh, the timing of the situation, or what? Well, obviously, we're going to need to see more of a body of work to define him as as the real deal, Gary. Because you know, the first handful of games this season, I thought he was a little heavy. I thought he was sloppy. I thought he was overweight a little bit. Um, it, he was none of those things Sunday night in in the win over Tennessee. Um, I, I think he got himself in better shape when he missed those six weeks when he was out with COVID. Now, again, I don't know if that's because he was, 
you know, not eating as much. And, and um, it, I, I don't think it had a whole lot to do with, you know, his, his fitness and, and him going in and living in the gym or anything like that. But, but he just looked leaner to me, Gary, you know, yes. he ran the 40 coming out of BC in about four five Oh, which is just remarkable for a man pushing 250 pounds. Gary, he looked every bit as powerful as Derrick Henry. Um, the man he's compared most to uh, who was on the opposite sideline Sunday night in a, in a Tennessee Jersey. Um, he, he was certainly every bit as fast as he showed on that, you know, on, on that breakaway touchdown run when he bounced it off the right side and, mm-hmm. and, and, and went in for a score. Gary, there, there, there were absolutely no flaws, at, at least on my, you know, first run through that game that I, that I saw with Dylan. Um, he, he passed protects. He's gotten better in that respect. His hands are fine. Is he going to be the real deal long-term? They're going to find out next year, Gary, that there's no question. They may even find out this postseason. I mean, I, it's really interesting to me um, how that game played out, what that means for Jamal Williams potentially the rest of the year, right? There's there's only so many carries to go around, and, and you know you have a Pro Bowler and Aaron Jones. Do those other 10, 12, 14 carries a game now go to, to Dylan? Do they go to Williams? I mean, it, it, it's going to be really interesting. We know Dylan's going to get the rock a lot next year, Gary, when at least one of these guys, Jones or Williams, uh, won't be back. And maybe they both won't be back. Maybe it's the A.J. Dylan show a year from now. But I think he did show management, Gary, on Sunday night that if, if, if they put their trust in him in the future, the running game's not going to just all of a sudden fall off a cliff. It probably hurt Aaron Jones in terms of, you know, his bargaining power at the, at the Packer table with what Dylan did the other night, Gary, but I'll tell you what, if they come back next year and they somehow had Dylan and Jones together and still with those, you know, that group of pass catchers and that quarterback, this offense is going to be dynamic again. But again, as we've talked about on this podcast many times, I I think it's AJ Dylan and and a new running back or two and Williams and Jones are both gone. But like we saw last night, AJ Dylan's probably probably has the potential to be a 1,200-yard back himself, Gary. Yeah, you know, I, I had mixed feelings about when they drafted him, and I, I did talk to an AFC scout, and he thought the Packers definitely made a reach. He goes, yeah, I know they, they're, they're looking for the next Derrick Henry, but he's not Derrick Henry. And uh, he, he just he, – he was not overly thrilled. Again, it's just one scout. That's his opinion, but – uh, you, you beat me to the punch, and I'm sure we'll discuss, discuss this at length uh, once the season is over. But you, you got to wonder about Jones or Williams. And, and about a week or so ago, uh, Lafleur made a comment about how he really was happy Dylan was back, and how he felt Dylan was going to be an important player for the Bucks, uh, for the Bucks, for the Packers. You know, going into the uh, playoffs, and, and and when a coach comes out that out and says that about a rookie he obviously has, you know, big plans for the guy. Gary, if you remember back to 2010, and and I don't think we're going to have this situation again, but James Starks was a guy that was kind of in mothballs all season. Um, I think he played in about three or four games. Ryan Grant got hurt in the season opener that year in Philadelphia. They ran the ball that year pretty poorly for the most part with Brandon Jackson I think he led him with about 700 rushing yards that year, but late in the year, they busted out James Starks and um, boy, Gary, if you remember, he, he really cranked it up late and then he was pretty darn good in the postseason. Now, again, I don't think that they're just too good at running back 
um, to have a situation like that again. I mean, Jones, like we said, is a pro bowler. He's probably going to make $12 million plus next year for whoever he's playing for. Jamal Williams might get a chance to start on whatever team he goes to next. I mean, that this is, this is the greatest depth, Gary, that I can remember in a Packer backfield since I've been alive. Um, or at least since I have, you know, followed this team closely since the late seventies. So we're talking 40 plus years. They, they have not had a trio like this whatsoever, but it, you're spot on. I, I remember the comment too, by Lafleur about him being a key player in the postseason, And I kind of rolled my eyes thinking like, how are you going to pull that off? Right. Jones yeah. gets 20 touches. Williams gets 15. I mean, where, where are you going to find Dylan carries and touches, right? Cause the quarterback likes to throw it around the yard 35 times himself. So there's only so many times, you know, you, you take a snap from center, but, but I'll tell you what, he probably earned himself uh, plenty of carries for the, for the bears game. And then pretend, you know, we'll see what he does with those Gary moving forward into the postseason. But I, I'll tell you what, if AJ Dillon looks anything close in the playoffs, like he did last night or two, a couple nights ago against Tennessee, boy, oh boy, what do you do as a defensive coordinator to try to stop these guys, right? There's, there's, there's weapons now just, just everywhere. And the last thing Green Bay needed with the number one scoring offense in the National Football League heading into the playoffs, you know, is another weapon. And, and they found one, I think, in that, in that Tennessee game. I, I didn't think it was going to happen, Gary, in 2020. I, I thought this was going to be a year for the most part. Dylan just sat and watched and learned. But he exploded the other night, and it might be tough now to keep him on the bench here the next month of the season. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a luxury, though. I mean, I, I, th- I thought the uh, Jones and William Tand, uh, Jones tandem, I, I'm not saying it's the best in the NFL, but it's certainly got to be, you know, in the top five or ten. I mean, I, I thought that's terrific. And now you add Dylan uh, to the mix, and it becomes all the more potent. Um, you know, the one thing I noticed, though, Rob, last night, this was a guy with fresh legs, <laughs> you know, I mean, physically he was ready to roll where a lot of these guys are, you know, they're, they're ailing. It's been a long season. It's been a grueling season. Their bodies are wearing down and all of a sudden Dylan comes in and it's like, Hey, this, you know, the season just started. And uh, you know, if you can get whatever it is now, five, six games, the rest of the way out of them, man, what a bonus. Gary, that's a great point, the fresh legs, because you're, you're exactly right. These guys lining up for Tennessee la- a, a, the other night with, with 14 games under their belt, um, guys that have made 100 tackles, 80 tackles, 60 tackles, you know, that, that week in and week out have, have, have had to, you know, go and, and, and bring down studs throughout the league. They're, they're tired. That is a very fresh running back right now that Green Bay is breaking out in, in week 16 in A.J. Dillon. Um, you know, I think Aaron Jones still looks pretty fresh. His December numbers are, have the last uh, couple of years have been absolutely terrific. He went into the other night, Gary, in his last seven December games, five of them, he had eclipsed hundred yards. He was outstanding again. I thought in the Tennessee game, uh, Gary, it's not going to be what, what I'm about to say is not going to be real popular, um, among mm-hmm. Packer nation, but, but I, I, I will tell you this. I've always personally felt Jamal Williams is a little bit overrated as a player, um, uh-huh. he, he has some real limitations in terms of, of breakaway ability and speed. He's never going to give you the big run. You know, he's very solid in most respects, Gary. He's a C plus player. When you, when you check off most of the boxes, pass protection, um, his hands are fine. Uh, but he's, he, he's just never going to get you a big run. And, uh, I, I'm, again, solid player. Uh, I, I respect what he's done in, in green Bay. Good guy, good teammate, good locker room guy. 
But I'll tell you what, Dylan just brings a whole nother dimension to what they could potentially do on offense. His, uh, his explosiveness, Gary, and part of that is obviously the fresh legs, but, but part of that too is the fact he's a 4-5 guy, which at 250 pounds is just remarkable when you think about it. I mean, he's, he's faster at the combine than either Williams or Jones was, and he's got both of those guys, you know, by 30 pounds. It's, it's crazy. So um, we're, we're talking about a running back that not a lot of people, Gary, are going to want to tackle if he gets a dozen or 15 carries in the, as this postseason goes on. It's, it's, it's really going to be fascinating to watch unfold because I'll tell you what, if the weather is nasty and there's snow and, and wind and it's, and it's 10 degrees, that trio of running backs that Green Bay has now, Gary, is, is really unmatched in, in the NFL. I'm with you when you grab just two of them. There's probably a couple of teams that, that match up or are probably better than what Green Bay has in terms of Jones-Williams or even Jones-Dillon. But you put all three together, and I don't think anybody's better than what the Packers have as, as a threesome. Yeah. The other thing besides, you know, the broadcasters last night, uh, Al Michaels and uh, Chris Collinsworth, you know, salivating over uh, our man here, Dillon, was – how they salivated over Aaron Rodgers, and understandably so, but it, it was weird. Collinsworth just comes out and said, like, there's no contest. It's over. I mean, this was early in the game that Rodgers was the MVP. He, he had him ahead of Mahomes. And I, I like Collinsworth's energy and excitement. Uh, I think he's a really a, a good broadcaster, but he is the king of hyperbole. And he uh, has a snack for catering to the home audience. Uh, I was just curious if, if that would have been Kansas City playing last night, if, if Collinsworth would have made that same remark. Uh, I, I highly doubt it. But it, it seems like everybody right now is on the Aaron uh, Rodgers bandwagon for the MVP. And, uh, you know, perhaps that's the case. I think it's really, really a tight race. And it, it's funny how this changes uh, even from game to game, I, I remember watching last Sunday, Mahomes was just incredible. He, he didn't put up these, you know, mind-boggling numbers, but uh, he played really well against the Saints and helped the Chiefs uh, beat the Saints. And I thought, okay, we'll see what Rodgers does. And Rodgers didn't play very well last week. What did he throw for last week, Rodgers? Um, I want to say about 145 or so. He had a very, very mediocre at best game. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I thought, it's over. <laughs> Mahomes has this thing wrapped up. Well, then we come to this weekend. Mahomes has a uh, bad game by his high standards. And, and Rodgers had a, had a very good game. Now all of a sudden, you know, Rodgers is the guy. Uh, well, how, how do you see this race stacking up? Yeah, I, I'm with you, Gary. If I think it's extremely close. It, what, what could really help or hurt Rodgers is, I mean, Kansas city has, has the AFC wrapped up, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's, there's, if, if you're Andy Reed, are you playing Patrick Mahomes in, in week 17? My guess is if he plays, it's a half or, or less. Um, if Rodgers has another big game, then Gary, I, I think it's over because he's just going to get more field time this week coming up than Patrick Mahomes does. If Rodgers has a game though, where he has a touchdown and three picks or no touchdowns and two picks and, and the bears beat green Bay and, and the Packers fall, let's say to the three seed Gary, which, which is certainly possible. If they lose this game, it's probably most probable that that's where they wind up 
is the number three seed. Then I think Mahomes is is back in the driver's seat in terms of getting it. I did a story today at, at Forbes that, you know, it, it, it is pretty crazy. Rodgers is the favorite now at, at minus 155. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this team la- at this time last week, Gary, Rodgers was plus 334, meaning if you bet $100, you would get back 334 if, if, if he did win it. Now that was the week before, you, right? Yeah, that was after week 15. See, so see now, Rob, I, I find that ludicrous because right. all of a sudden you're changing it on one game and not after 14 games or whatever it was. Well, Gary, the odds on the two of them almost flipped identically, which, which is remarkable because – the, the previous week, too, Mahomes was minus 334, and now he's a plus 145. Yeah, and based on one game or two games. Based on, based uh, on one game. And, and we're not even talking a complete dud by any means by Mahomes. He was two touchdowns, a pick. I think he was 24 or 44 or something. So it's, it's not a super high completion percentage, Gary, but he still threw for 275, and he let him down the field on another game-winning drive, right? I mean, nobody in the world is better right now in terms of game-winning drives than Mahomes. I, I think that's his eighth now in the last, I don't know what I thought, what I saw was last 15 wins they've had or something like that. I mean, the, the guy's just been absolutely dynamic at crunch time when, when they need to go win a game and he needs to throw a touchdown pass, he does it week in and week out. So there's a lot to be said for that too. The Chiefs keep winning these games by a touchdown or less. And the biggest reason is they have they have the greatest clutch quarterback in the league right now. And, and that's got to be worth some bonus points. So I mean, Rodgers is now, at least according to most of these odds makers, moved into the into the driver's seat on this. But but again, um, you know, the Bears can change that come Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bears can rattle him. The Bears can you know grab a pick or two. The Bears can win the game twenty to seventeen or something like that. And if and if the Packers fall out of that one spot, um, I would expect Mahomes becomes the MVP. If Green Bay wins the game, Gary, and holds on to that one spot, um, then I think it's Rodgers, and and he'll become, you know, just the sixth player in NFL history to win three MVPs, which is which is pretty remarkable unto itself. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with your assessment. Uh, you know, I was listening to Colin Cowherd this afternoon, and he, like Collinsworth and Michael, said, you know, it's it's Aaron Rodgers uh, to lose, and. He goes, Mahomes had, has had this horrible December. And I was taken aback because I saw, like I said, I saw that New Orleans game last week. And he was phenomenal. He made all the key throws when he had to. I mean, he basically put that team on his back. And then I went back and I looked at what he did. He had 278 yesterday yards, 254 in that Saints game. And then he had 300 in 13 yards against Miami, maybe it was 373 against Miami. If that's a horrible month, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just don't get it. No, I, I, I'm with you, Gary. Um, I'm a little taken aback. I will say this. When you, when you break down their stats, kind of top to bottom, Rodgers does have the edge in, in a number of categories, right? He's, he's got the 44 touchdowns and the five picks. So I think he's got, I think he's got Mahomes edged there, Gary. I'm trying to look up the numbers. I, I think Mahomes has maybe 38 touchdowns. Yeah, here I got it. He 38, 38. Six, inter- six interceptions. So Rodgers, you know, Rodgers has more touchdowns, uh, one fewer interception. He's got him by about 11 points in the passer rating. Mahomes is throwing though for about 700. Exactly. More than, exactly. than Rodgers has and, 
You know, the completion percentage is relatively close. 70 for Rodgers, 66 for Mahomes. So they're both, they're both terrific. If, again, Gary, I, I still think a large part of this comes down to team success. And, you know, Kansas City's 14 and one, obviously as the number one seed locked up in, in the AFC. That, that, that to me is worth a ton. If Green Bay can do the same, get themselves to 13 and three, Gary with a win in Chicago, uh, claim that number one seed in the NFC, then I think Rodgers deserves the vote. But, um, you know, if, if Green Bay stumbles on Sunday and the Saints or the Seahawks jump over them for that one seed, then I think it's Mahomes is to lose again. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to revisit uh, this topic, you know, after the season's over and uh, hash it out some more. But one other thing that, that I find amusing, and you can tell me if I'm full of it or not, but there seems to be a perception that Patrick Mahomes is surrounded by this Hall of Fame cast, and Aaron Rodgers is playing with a bunch of scrubs. And uh, you start looking at who's got the best running back of the, of the two teams. I say Aaron Rodgers, and it isn't close. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones. Do you agree? I agree. He might even have two running backs that are better than anybody in Kansas city right now, because, yes. because I, I think Bell is shot and, and I think Kansas city made a mistake to sign him, and it stunted the growth of, of the first round rookie uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire that they have from LSU who's hurt now, obviously, but um, you know, when, when Bell came to town, that slowed down what they had going there with Edwards Hilaire and, and, and that kid's a heck of a player, Gary, I think is going to be long-term, but um, you know, again, his touches and his carries got, got reduced dramatically when Bell came to town. You could almost make the case that Green Bay has two better running backs. Yeah. Okay. We, I think we will agree that uh, Travis Kelsey is the best tight end among the two teams. I, he might I be that, the best tight end. He might be the, the best tight end since Kellen Winslow. Yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. Who has the best receiver? I would say Rogers does. I agree. At least, Adam, at, least at, at least at number one. No, no question. Yes. Now, now I agree that Kansas City's stable of receivers is better than Green Bay. Correct. As far as having a the best receiver, I say it's Adams easily. I, I, I'm totally with you then. And and then the last piece of the puzzle, obviously, Gary, is the offensive line. Precisely. And I, think, I think I think Green Bay's is dramatically better. Two Absolutely. Pro bowlers could have, two Pro Bowlers could have been three. That's really the left side and the center. And, and even the right side, Gary, has played outstanding football the majority of the year. So um, I, I, I'm with you a thousand percent. All these people trying to make the pitch that Aaron Rodgers is playing with a, with a bunch of jokers and bums, uh, putting up 30 plus points a game. That to me is absolutely comical. Uh, you've got a Pro Bowl running back, obviously, in Aaron Jones. You have two Pro Bowl offensive linemen, should have been three with Corey Lindsay, you have a Pro Bowl wide receiver and Devontae Adams, and he probably should have had a Pro Bowl tight end in Bobby Tunya. I think that's one of the biggest myths that, yep. that, that, that is circulating around, you know, the NFL is here. But uh, anyways, moving on here. <laughs> Spe speaking of stiffs, uh, your Lions, uh, we, we put a fork in them a couple of weeks ago. And is, is there anything to say about them anymore? Boy, even, even COVID gets the coaching staff, huh? Um, <laughs> no, there's, th th there's really nothing left to be said. We made the case on here a few weeks ago when they won their first game uh, under the Daryl Bevel regime that, that maybe Bevel would, would be the right guy. 
for the job. That won't happen. They've lost three in a row since then. Um, they will be in full-fledged, uh, they probably already are, Gary, in full-fledged coaching search mode. Like we've said, they, they will start completely over here in January, and um, they will probably be last in the division for another year or two as they try to dig themselves out of kind of the latest coaching management uh, mistakes that they made here in the Matt Patricia era. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of the big rumors going around is that Eric Bieniemy, who's at the top of it, seems like everybody's list or most people's list to be the next head coach, could be reunited with John Dorsey. What what would you think of that combination? I think anybody that gets John Dorsey into their organization has done themselves a tremendous service. If if you look at the roster that the Chiefs uh, will carry into the AFC playoffs and um, and, and obviously Kansas city will be the front runner and the favorites, um, in the AFC with that 14 and one record, Gary, the overwhelming majority of people put together on that roster came from John Dorsey that won a super bowl last year. The same can be said in Cleveland right now, where I think the Browns are 10 and five Gary, uh, but still with a win on Sunday, will get themselves back into the playoffs for the first time in forever. And uh, John Dorsey has done really good things everywhere he's gone. Um, I don't know enough about, I know he's the hot candidate right now. He's the flavor of the week, that being Eric B enemy, Gary, um, you know, but you just never know how a great, you know, offensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator with great people around him is going to translate into the head coaching job. So, um, you know, I, I think the pairing makes sense in, in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, I would certainly be higher on the Dorsey higher than the B enemy higher, just because Dorsey has the proven track record. He's done it in a, in a, mm -hmm. in a number of places. And, um, you know, it, it always hasn't ended well for him when he's left Gary, but, but his teams that, that he's assembled <laughs> have then gone on and done really, really big things. So I, he's going to get another chance. And I think whoever brings him into the organization, um, is, is going to be lucky to have him. You know, uh, I, I can't remember if we touched upon this in our last podcast or not, but uh, I, I talked to an NFL official about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and I asked him specifically about Nathaniel Hackett, if he had heard his name, you know, surfacing with any of these upcoming openings, and he said yes, but he didn't elaborate. So uh, I, I'll be very curious. I mean, if I'm a team looking for a head coach, and I know we touched upon this a little bit last week. He, he, he's to me would uh, definitely deserve strong consideration. I think you're going to see a handful of these Packer assistants, Gary. And, and this is if they have success in the postseason, certainly mm -hmm. and make a run to the Super Bowl. Let's just say, I think you're going to see a handful of these assistants uh, jump up and, and get some opportunities elsewhere. We, we have to see what jobs open up, how many head coaching jobs are open, how many, offensive coordinator defensive coordinator type jobs eventually free up but but I think you'll see some some movement on that Packers staff Hackett certainly makes the most sense in terms of potentially jumping out and and, and getting a head coaching job somewhere else with what he's done uh, he obviously you know uh, and Lafleur together have done with this offense taking it to the number one scoring offense in football kind of saving the career in a lot of ways of Aaron Rodgers or at least getting it spun back in the, in the, in the right direction. 
the way they've schemed guys open, Gary, um, it has been so dramatically different than how Mike McCarthy's offense looked for 15 years when he just relied on guys to win their one-on-one matchups. I mean, these guys are scheming people open all over the field. Like, um, you know, like, like high school offensive coordinators are able to find that amount of amount of green grass for, for players to work. You didn't see that most of the time with Mike McCarthy, and you really don't see it that often in the league, Gary. But these guys are so creative and have done such a nice job with their play calling. Um, it, you know, half the time it looks like they're playing against a Big 12 defense or something like that, the, mm-hmm. the, way, they've, the way they've torn it up on offense. So, no, I, th- I think Hackett's going to certainly interview and get some nibbles. And, and if that's the case, Gary, you'll, you'll see some promotion from within um, on that staff. Who exactly that is with Lafleur? I guess we'd, we'd have to wait and see. But, but there, there, there's enough quality candidates on that staff. He's put together a really gifted, talented young staff with, with a lot of energy. If I remember right, Gary, I, I wrote a story when, when, when uh, Lafleur first put together that staff, that, that group wound up being about an average of five and a half years younger per man than the staff Mike McCarthy <laughs> left behind. So yeah. it was, you know, exactly. it, it, it was a younger group with a lot of energy kind of looking to make their mark uh, versus maybe some guys who were, you know, let, let's be honest, somewhat sitting back, resting mm-hmm. on their laurels to some, you know, to some effect. And, you know, the, the, these guys are go-getters. They're hungry. They want their next chance. They want their next opportunity. And uh, I think a lot of them, Gary, are going to get it this coming off season. Yeah. You know, uh, the Lions aren't the uh, only NFC North team that's uh, going to be watching the playoffs at home. And the Vikings uh, went out with a whimper and, uh, the, the, the Saints just absolutely spanked them at 52 to 33 and the Saints never even punted in the game. And you kind of knew this is going to be a rough season for the Vikings. I mean, they, they lost several key players on defense, uh, when you lose Trey Waynes and, you know, Rhodes, uh, not that they're uh, pro bowl bound players, but they're veterans and they're solid players. And then they lost a couple other guys. You figured, they would struggle defensively uh, this year, and uh, they certainly did. And now it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, you know, in the draft uh, via free agency. If they can add a couple pieces, I'd imagine they'll uh, get back in the mix. Gary, I love Mike Zimmer, and here's why. He called that defense the worst he's ever been around after that game. I mean, who, who says that in 2020, right? Everybody's so worried about, you know, being PC and ruffling somebody's feathers or something like that. You know, everybody's, you know, so on eggshells with what they say, if it's going to hurt somebody's feelings somewhere. I love Zimmer. Um, There's nothing to love obviously about that defense and, and Gary, personally, I was going against Alvin Kamara in a couple fantasy football league championships. So that, that wasn't a whole lot of fun. But uh, no, it, it, it will be very interesting what, uh, you know, what happens in Minnesota this offseason. Zimmer is safe, I think. Um, I think the offense there has a ton of potential. Uh, I, I, I still think Cousins will hold them back when it matters the most. But that combination of wide receivers and running back are, are almost as good as you have in the league. But, th- but they've got to get two or three difference makers now on the defensive side of the ball. I, if I, I just, they cleared out too many good players after the 2019 season, Gary. And I know a ton of that came from cap issues. Um, some of it, they didn't, they didn't want to keep guys around who are either in their thirties or approaching their thirties and, and give various guys third contracts and, and things like that. So they went young and, you know, they, they kind of went to a youth movement, but Gary, they, they lost a lot of talent in that building in the process. And, and you've seen the results. It's, it's, it's been a, 
a disastrous defense. Um, and, and from a guy, a head coach, somebody at the top of the organization um, who was always prided himself on having outstanding defenses. I mean, Mike Zimmer is one of the great defensive minds in the league and he couldn't even turn water to wine with that group. So they will have to go out and make a couple of splashes in free agency, probably spend their first two or three picks. I would assume in the draft on the defensive side of the ball and then try mm-hmm. to jump up and, and, and catch green Bay. Um, like, you know, Gary, like we've talked about on this podcast many times is this is going to be the Packers best you know, maybe last best last chance under Aaron Rodgers that Green Bay is going to look dramatically different next year too. They'll have they'll have five, six, seven new starters, Gary. With uh, when you, when you factor in who they're going to lose in free agency and who they're going to have to cut in terms of salary cap issues, so so teams like Minnesota and Chicago are probably licking their chops that they can that they can jump up and catch Green Bay in in twenty twenty one. You know, and if Minnesota Gary makes two or three really good moves and the Packers are hit really hard either with, with, you know, free agent defections or salary cap, um, salary cap casualties. Uh, This division could be a lot closer next year, but boy, I'll tell you what, the last two years, Green Bay has absolutely dominated it. They're 25 and six now since, since Matt LaFleur came to town, they've, they've kind of made a mockery of the NFC North and the rest of this division, Gary has a ton of work to do if they're going to catch Green Bay here in the next year or two. Oh, Exactly. Well, Rob, each and every week uh, we uh, take questions from our listeners who uh, submitted them, and we try to get at least one, and uh, because of time restraints, we're only going to do one this week, but uh, it comes from Tom Melzuski, who, believe it or not, lives in Menominee Falls. Nice. I've heard good things about that town. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I was going to recommend to to him that you guys get together (laughs) here, but... uh, he said, I, I, I quote, I noticed the Packers defense has really gotten a lot better the last couple of weeks. Um, is that a matter of better scheming or pl- players playing harder? I'll let you handle this one. <laughs> well, Gary, this leads into my parting shot a little bit, so I don't want to say too okay. much with it, but but I, I will say it 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 it's certainly I I I think effort is pretty consistent in this league. I, I think these guys for the most part are pretty prideful individuals. Um, they're pros I, I think for the most part, they're giving you what they have every single week when they go out. I think the scheme um, Sunday night in the win over Tennessee was exactly what the scheme should have been in the NFC championship game against San Francisco. It, it, it worked to perfection in terms of slowing Henry down. It took Mike Petten a year, I think, to figure that out. But, um, but he did, and the results were clearly evident. I, I thought Green Bay's defense uh, might have had its best coaching game of the season and maybe of the Mike Patton era in that mm-hmm. win Sunday night against Tennessee. To- to- totally agree. So, uh, all right, let, let's speaking of the uh, parting shot, uh, we each have a parting shot, and uh, I'll go first this week. Rob, we'll save your uh, Packer one that has piqued my interest already. But uh, my, my parting shot goes like this. NFL coaches are paid very well, but they also pay a steep price. Uh, these coaches have to constantly make sacrifices, oftentimes missing some of their most important events in their lives, whether it's birthdays, weddings, kids' games, etc. And I, I was looking at Matt LaFleur, the Packers coach. He's 41 years old, Rob. 
And believe it or not, he has already made 11 career moves, okay? <laughs> Starting in 2003, when he took uh, the job as the offensive assistant at that uh, football powerhouse, Saginaw Valley State, and uh, where he was the offensive assistant. Then he goes to get to Central Michigan as a graduate assistant. He goes to Northern Michigan as a quarterback's wide receiver. Then he goes to Ashland. Now, is Ashland the one in Ohio? I don't think it's Ashland, Wisconsin, <laughs> is it? <laughs> let, let, let's hope not. I, I think it's in Ohio. I don't even know where it is. And uh, <laughs> after these college stops, he gets a uh, NFL gig with the Houston Texans, offensive assistant. He goes to the Washington Redskins, quarterback's coach. Then he goes back to college, goes to Notre Dame. He's the quarterback's coach there for one season. And then he's the quarterback coach with the Falcons. He's the offense coordinator for the Rams. He's the offense coordinator for the Titans. And then he lands, of, of course, in, in Green Bay last year. Um, so he had six NFL gigs, Rob, five college gigs. And then there's Pete Carroll, Seattle's coach, okay? And uh, his uh, coaching journey has obviously been longer and, and even more arduous. But get this, Pete Carroll, 69 years old. He's had 14 different career moves since 1973 when he was a graduate assistant at Pacific, okay? And um, some of the places that he, he went after Pacific were Arkansas for one. First of all, he was at Pacific for three years. He goes to Arkansas for one year. He goes to Iowa State for one year. He goes to Ohio State for one year. North Carolina State for two years. Uh, he goes back to Pacific as the defense coordinator in 1983. Then he goes to the NFL with the Buffalo Bills. Then he's with the Minnesota Vikings. Then he's with the New York Jets, and uh, where he was the defense coordinator and head coach. Then he goes out to the San Francisco 49ers. Then he goes to New England. He goes back to college at USC before landing a gig with uh, Seattle in 2010 and where he is obviously the coach. And uh, Carol and Lafleur aren't the exceptions for NFL coaches. They're, they're pretty much the norm. To be an NFL coach, you have to pay your dues and you have to be willing to move and move and move and move and, and not establish any roots at all. Uh, you have to make difficult and extraordinary sacrifices. And perhaps most importantly, you really have to love your profession. LaFleur and Carol obviously do. I love it, Gary. You know, when it, it's interesting, the main two coaches that I have covered in, in Green Bay were, were Mike McCarthy and, and Mike Sherman. And Gary, if, if you ever did a before and an after picture of both of those two guys, Sherman from double O to 05, oh, yeah. from, from six to 18, you know, in those six years, Gary, Mike Sherman probably aged 20 and he probably put on a hundred plus pounds and Mike McCarthy in his 13 years, probably aged 30 and put on a hundred pounds himself. I mean, it's a, it's a tough life. It's a tough profession. Now, no one's crying for them. Like you said, Gary, they are handsomely compensated, but you know, those 80 to hundred hour work weeks add up in a hurry. And um, it, it, it does take an effect and a toll 
just on just on your life and the quality of life in general. So no, I love it. Great uh, final argument or, or closing piece. Well, thank you. I'm going to actually switch gears, Gary, in mine. I, I, I was going to go on on the run defense and initially uh, and, and, and talk about what they did against Henry, uh, what the Packers did against Henry on, on Sunday night and in, in the Tennessee game and why it should give uh, hope for Packer nation heading into the postseason. Uh, but we addressed that a little bit with that, with that final question. So I, I I'm going to shift gears and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about a story that ended up pretty well for both sides, Gary, okay, two years sounds ago. Good. Two years ago at this time, Matt LaFleur was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee Mm -hmm. and things did not go well in 2018 for the Titans and for Matt LaFleur. Tennessee, Gary, was was 27th that year in points. They were 25th in yards. Um, Marcus Mariota, the number two pick in a draft, who who Titans head coach Mike Vrabel specifically had hired Matt LaFleur to help fix and to help take Mariota to the next level. That did not happen. When the year ended, Matt LaFleur came to Green Bay and, and, and interviewed for the job uh, with Mark Murphy, Brian Gutekunst, and Russ Ball, the, the three powers that be in the Packer organization. And obviously, Gary, as we all know now, he, he beat out nine other, nine other candidates, was given the head coaching job. The part of the story that not everybody knows, Gary, is that had Matt LaFleur not been given the Packer job or, or earned and, and won the Packer job in January of 2019, there was no guarantee that Mike Vrabel was going to take him back in Tennessee. Mm. I, had a, I, I had somebody very close to the situation, Gary, last week tell me that LaFleur was going to be demoted to quarterback's coach. Um, it had been reported by uh, Hall of Fame reporter, the great Bob McGinn, that um, Mike Vrabel was going to get rid of Matt LaFleur altogether. And so the bottom line, Gary, I mean, the only one who totally knows that is Mike Vrabel. And Mike Vrabel was waiting to see what happened with Matt LaFleur in Green Bay before he made a decision on LaFleur's future. Vrabel was crossing his fingers that LaFleur would get that job and that Vrabel wouldn't have to play the heavy. Well, it's obviously worked out perfectly, Gary, for both sides. LaFleur was given the job in Green Bay. He's 25 and six since Packers were in an NFC championship game in 2019, his first season on the job. They're the number one seed today in the NFC. They have back-to-back divisional titles. I just, Gary, I don't think things could have gone any better uh, in green Bay than they have in these first two seasons under Matt LaFleur. Now on the flip side, and I know Tennessee was lousy Sunday night when they came to green Bay, but Tennessee promoted uh, their tight ends coach, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator, and their offense absolutely erupted. They took Ryan Tannehill off the scrap hill, uh, scrap heap, I'm sorry, from, from the Miami Dolphins. They traded a, a sixth-round draft pick, Gary, to get Tannehill. Um, he saved his career and turned into a, to a Pro Bowl player. Um, Smith has gotten the most out of Derrick Henry. They've, they've grown these young wide receivers, and at least heading into the game, Sunday night, Gary, the Titans had been number one in the league in, in scoring offense. So here's a story where things worked out perfectly on both sides. The, the Packers rolled the dice. They found their head coach in Matt LaFleur and it's worked out perfectly. Mike Vrabel didn't have to play the heavy in Tennessee and move on from Matt LaFleur as his offensive coordinator. Cause back to your point then Gary, 
who knows where LaFleur's next stop was going to be. Um, <laughs> Number <you> 12. Know, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And things have gone perfectly really for, for Vrabel, for Arthur Smith and, and Tennessee. So it's, it's kind of a win-win Gary, which you don't see in that league a whole heck of a lot. And um, you know, both teams were in, the, were in their respective conference title games last season. Both teams are going to go into the, into the postseason, I think this year as, as teams, nobody else might want to see. And uh, again, really a win-win for both organizations. Very nice. Well done, sir. Rob, we uh, covered a lot of territory today. And uh, as usual, thanks for your insight. Uh, like, like I said, one of the highlights of my week is getting together with you for an hour or so and uh, talking Packer football. You always come up with something good. <laughs> well, right back at you. This it, uh, it, It's never dull. It's never boring, is it? it <laughs> no, it isn't. And but, these 2020 uh, Packers, Gary, there's no doubt. They've, they've given us plenty to discuss. It, it's been a fun year. Yeah, and, and the best is yet to come. I, I can't wait for the playoffs. It, it, it's going to be a, you know, a blast. So, again, thanks a lot, Rob, and uh, thanks to our listeners. Everybody take care. For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWoofle and WooflesPressBox.com.